How should you invest for your child or grandchild's education? What should your investment plan look like perhaps when they're first born or very young? And how should that change over time as they get closer and closer to going to college and needing to start spending that money you've saved and invested? My name is Rob Berger. This is the Financial Freedom Show, and that is the issue we're going to tackle today. Now, a quick announcement. Uh, I am starting a newsletter. It's going to start going out every Sunday morning. It's going to tackle investing and retirement, primarily from the perspective of folks, you know, with gray hair like me who are either near retirement or in retirement. But I promise it'll have something for everyone who's interested in making the most out of their money with a focus on investing and retirement. Uh, so it's going to go out every Sunday morning. There'll be a link below this video. You can sign up. It's free. I don't sell your email to anyone. You can unsubscribe anytime you want. Uh, it's just going to be packed with, I don't know, everything from calculators to articles I've written to articles other folks have written, studies, anything that I think can help you be a better investor and plan and prepare for retirement. So check that out uh, below the video. Uh, today we've got a special treat. I'm going to be showing you a spreadsheet uh, that was put together by a viewer named Dan. He and I go way back via email. He actually put together uh, the investment tracking spreadsheet that I've showed you in the past. That was many years ago. And he came up with a really great spreadsheet uh, on 529 plans and how to invest for a child's education. It's applicable whether you're, you're investing inside a 529 plan or not. I'm going to show you that spreadsheet in just a minute and I'm going to give you access to it. So uh, there you go. That's what we're going to do today. Now, when we're investing for a child's education, there are at least two things that make it kind of tricky. The first is we have a relatively short period of time. Normally we're starting maybe in the best case when a child is born and we have 18 years roughly to save. If you're like me, you probably didn't get started right away, so you might even have less time. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is, is that once they need the money, they need it really quickly and they go through it all in four, okay, for some maybe five or six years, but it's a relatively short period of time, particularly when we think about it and compare it to retirement. You know, if someone retires at the age of 65, they're still a long-term investor. They're gonna need their money and, and continue to invest, at least from a planning perspective, for 30 or more years. But when it comes to education, you know, they burn through that with tuition in four, maybe five or six years. It's gone pretty quickly. And that really has significant implications for how we invest. So with that, let me begin by showing you the spreadsheet that Dan put together for us. Again, um, I will give you access to this. There will be a link below the video. And let me first say uh, that when you, if you follow the link, if you want uh, to get a copy of this spreadsheet for yourself. What you can do is simply go to file and then it will show up in just a second. Here it is, make a copy. Don't request access to the spreadsheet. Go to file, make a copy. You can make your own copy and then, you know, do whatever you want to it. So let me explain the spreadsheet. This comes from Utah's 529 plan. And you might be saying, well, Rob, I don't live in Utah and I don't have their 529 plan. So two things. One is, this is a great way to understand how to invest for a child's education that you can apply whether you, you're, you have a 529 plan from a different state or maybe you're even investing outside of a 529 plan. That's fine. Because uh, the real key here is 
We got 18 years usually at most. They're going to spend all the money in four, maybe five or six years. So the principles underlying uh, Utah's plan will apply regardless of where you're actually investing. That's the first thing. Second thing is you actually can open up a 529 plan in, in any state that you want. You don't have to actually open it up in where you live. Now, there can be reasons where you, you do want to open it up where you live, and that's there could be some tax advantages. So you, you'll want to figure that out for your specific state. Of course, some states don't have income tax, so there may, there may not be any tax advantages. And if you're like me, I, I live in Virginia, there are some tax advantages uh, uh, for opening up a Virginia 529 if you live here, and that's what we did. Although I'll be honest, the tax advantages aren't really that great uh, in Virginia. And so the reason I think Dan used 529, he doesn't live in Utah either. Uh, but it's because Utah's 529 plan is year in and year out considered one of the absolute best out there, both in terms of its investment options and its um, including the costs of those options, as you'll see in just a minute as we work through this uh, sheet. So again, whether you use Utah's 529 plan or not, I think it can give us uh, really all the information we need to come up with a great investment plan for our children or grandchildren. So. Um, we're going to walk through a couple of, of, of sheets here. This first one is what Utah's plan used to look like. They don't actually use this exact plan anymore, and you'll, you'll see how they changed it in just a minute. But this can still be a great uh, uh, way to understand how to invest. And what you see here is just the age of the child from zero all the way up to 19 plus, And they have different asset allocations uh, depending on the age. And let's just briefly walk through the, the investments uh, that are used here. Uh, the first one is basically a Vanguard total U.S. stock market fund. If you look at the ticker and you say that doesn't seem familiar, it's because uh, Utah uses Vanguard's institutional class shares, which are a little less expensive. I think you need like $100 <laughs> as a as a minimum. Uh, for, for this particular fund. Obviously, I'm going to guess you and I don't have $100 million lying around. But of course, Utah's 529 plan gets access to it. And then if you join their plan, uh, you have it. But this is just a U.S. total stock market uh, fund. This is the Vanguard Developed Market Fund. This is Vanguard Emerging Markets. And so between the three of these funds, they've got U.S. stocks and international stocks covered. And what they were proposing from ages zero to six is a 100% stock portfolio. Uh, it didn't change between uh, the ages of zero to six. 65% was in US stocks, the rest in international divided 26% developed countries, uh, think Germany, for example, 9% uh, emerging markets. These are uh, countries with less developed economies. Uh, and so that was their uh, proposed allocation from zero to six. Now, let me stop there for a minute. Obviously, that's a 100% stock portfolio. I'm personally not a huge fan of 100% stocks. That's true even for retirement when you might be in your 20s and you've got 30, 40, 50 years to go uh, before you retire. And I'm more of a 90-10 kind of investor. Now, it's not that I think 100% is a mistake or wrong. Uh, it's just that um, it, it is pretty volatile, so you've got to be able to sort of hold on through the good times and the bad. And there are there could be decades uh, where a 90-10 portfolio actually outperforms 
a 100% stock portfolio. Given current bond yields, one may wonder if those times will, will occur again in our, in our near term. But that being said, I'm more of a 90-10 uh, investor for, for long term. And here we're not talking retirement, we're talking a child's education. So we're only at best, uh, say, 18 years away. Now, again, I don't think 100% stocks is a mistake, even in a 529 plan where you've got shorter time periods. Uh, but it's just something I point out. And in fact, if you look at most target date retirement funds, where there's still 30, 40 years to go for retirement, say Vanguard, for example, they're usually 90, 10. So 100% is, is a pretty um, uh, aggressive approach. Again, don't think it's a mistake. I'm just pointing that out. This is Utah's approach. All right, going back to the screen, as you can see, as you start to, as the child starts to get older, here we're at seven to nine years. It's, let me see if I can highlight it, this row right here. We start to move into some bonds. And for this uh, um, investment plan, Utah used uh, sort of a, a total, total bond fund. You could think B&D, although again, they have institutional shares. And then they had some in an investment grade fund and then some in an international bond fund. And this totaled 15%. So they start to get a little um, less aggressive as the child gets older and, of course, gets closer and closer to needing to spend the money. And that's ages seven to nine. Again, I think overall generally a reasonable approach. And, um, and then as they get older, it just starts to move more and more towards bonds and into some cash accounts. That's what the two green accounts are. Um, this is an income fund. This is an FDIC insured fund. We don't start to use the FDIC insured fund until you get to age 15. And here we're just a few years out. And we can fast forward. Once we get into college, they still have some money in stocks, which is interesting to me. This is what, about 10%. Uh, but the rest is in bonds and in cash. And we can see uh, Dan put this together in a nice chart over here to the right where you can see the changes in the asset allocation over time. And if we scroll down, you, he sort of summarizes this for us where it's easier to see just the stock, bond, and cash allocation uh, that changes over time. Here it is, and the chart for it. Now, one thing I wanna point out uh, with Utah's plan is that these changes in the asset allocation, they do it for you. Um, this is almost, you could think of it very similar to a target date retirement fund, except for 529 education plans. And so I really like what Utah has done here because you can just put the money in the, in the fund and just like a target date retirement fund, uh, it changes the asset allocation over time uh, as your child gets older. Now, they've made a change to all of this, which I'll show you in just a minute, but here's the thing I wanna stress. If I were customizing this plan for myself, as I mentioned earlier, I might tweak it. I might do a few things a little differently. I might start with a 90-10 allocation, even when the child is first born and I've got 18 years to go until retirement. If we go back to the screen, the other thing I'd probably do is once they're in college, I'm probably out of stocks completely. Uh, I wouldn't even have 10% because they're using the money now. They're going to use it all over, let's say, a four-year period or maybe five years, you know, maybe six. But I'm generally not going to put money in the stock market that I plan to spend generally over the next five years. That's my rule of thumb. Having said that, I might be willing to go outside of that a little bit for the simplicity, the ease, 
of just putting all of my money in one fund, in this case, uh, with the state of Utah's 529 plan, and letting them you know, make all of the asset allocation changes over time. I might opt for that simplicity, even if the asset allocation might not be you know, exactly uh, the way uh, I would have it, have it if I were customizing it myself. Obviously, you can make those decisions for yourself, but here's the real key. I think overall, this is a great strategy for investing uh, for a child's education. Again, whether you use Utah's 529 plan, a different 529 plan, or maybe you're investing in a taxable account outside of a 529 plan. Um, uh, if you're doing that, there is one thing you'll need to keep in mind, and that is probably wouldn't put REITs in a taxable account. All right. So what has Utah done that's different? Well, they've moved from what they call an age-based approach, which is what this is, to what they call an enrollment date approach. Now, that in and of itself, the overall asset allocation and investing plan hasn't really uh, changed. And in fact, you can see Dan still has it in the context of ages right here. But the idea is, much like in a target date retirement fund, you pick the fund that corresponds the closest to the year you think you're going to retire. Well, what Utah's done is sort of done the same thing. And they said, look, pick the fund that, that, that matches as close as you can, you can guess to when your child is going to actually go to college. Now, as a practical matter, um, it's still very much age-based, uh, but they're just using the enrollment date instead. I kind of like that because we're kind of used to that with target date retirement funds, whether you invest in them or not. They're very easy to understand. Same thing with um, when a child is born, you just, you know, 18 years from now, that's when your best guess is they're going to enroll in college, assuming you're using the 529 plan for college, and you can just pick their plan. However, the basic concepts are the same in terms of the changes in the asset allocation over time. Um, so this is Utah's current plan. And you'll notice they've gotten rid of, uh, of the emerging market um, here. They don't use the emerging markets anymore. They just put it all in a total uh, international stock index. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they've also gotten rid of the investment grade fund. And they just use uh, the total bond fund and then a little bit of international bond exposure. But otherwise, the plans are basically the same. They did make one other change. And that is the way they, they change the asset allocation. They actually do it on a quarter by quarter basis now. It's more frequent and it kind of smooths out the changes in the asset allocation plan. I kind of like that. But at the end of the day, when we look at the summary that Dan's put together for us, still pretty much uh, the same. And again, I think a great approach to investing for a child's education. Now, one of the things that Utah allows you to do is customize it. If you don't want these sort of uh, pre-built plans, you can customize it. Now, again, in my case, I would just go with the pre-built plan, even if the asset allocation isn't exactly what I would want, because I'm all for the simplicity and the ease of doing it, and I still think it's a solid plan. Dan, though, is actually using a custom plan, and he put together a sheet of what he's going to do. Now, again, this is Dan's custom plan. It may or may not be right for you, one of the things I want to point out, I mentioned this earlier, is he's using a REIT fund that is available in the Utah plan. Inside a 529 plan, a REIT fund is, is, is perfectly, uh, a perfectly reasonable choice. Remember, at the federal level, you don't get deductions for the contributions you make to a 529 plan. But 
um, your investments can grow tax, you know, tax deferred, tax free. And if you then use the money for qualified education expenses, you don't pay taxes uh, when you spend the money. And so a REIT inside a 529 plan is perfectly fine. And so he's got that. You can see he's added back in emerging market, uh, which they had taken out. He's added back into his plan uh, at the investment grade bond fund. Again, certainly reasonable um, approach. Uh, to investing, and uh, this is his approach. Uh, the reason I point all of this out, again, this is in the spreadsheet, which you'll be able to check out. I'll leave a link to it below the video. You can see his overall uh, summary of his asset allocation. The alternative is here. And again, that's the REITs, and he's even color-coded it. Purple here, right? Purple there. I love the way this guy does spreadsheets. Isn't this great? Anyway, you can see his overall um, allocation. He's actually at 21% in stocks, even when the child um, is now 19 or older. Um, and then that's the age-based summary, although enrollment summary, it's gone down to 10%. Again, the difference being, you, you could have a child that doesn't go to college at 18, right? Maybe your child goes to college at 23. So th that's sort of the, the difference between age-based and enrollment date. Um, uh, so th that's something to keep in mind. Um, and you can see he's got the allocation based on age and enrollment date. So a lot of great charts to check out how the allocation changes over time. But he's also asked some questions that I want to address. You can see them down here. And it's a great way just to kind of reinforce how to evaluate a mutual fund or an ETF, again, whether it's part of a 529 plan or not. And his first question is, how do we think about VDIPX or VTPSX? These are two international stock funds. And so what I've done, let's see if we can get this up on the screen. Here we go. Oh, perfect, it kind of worked. Let me actually resize this a little bit. If I can, I'm gonna bring this over just a tad and bring this over just a tad. These are the two funds. And his question is, which one should we use for sort of our core um, international stock fund? And the answer depends. Uh, and I'll tell you what it depends on, but let's first make sure we understand the difference. And there's the hint is in the title, uh, the name of the fund. This is the Vanguard Total International Stock Fund. And this one is the Vanguard Developed Markets. And um, so what's the difference? Well, if you think about Total International, it, it, Total International includes both uh, investments in companies headquartered in developed markets, right? Again, think Germany, and uh, and uh, companies headquartered in emerging markets. Again, countries that are still you know politically and economically uh, um, um, not as developed as say a Germany, as an example. Um, so that's what this total international stock fund includes. It includes both developed markets and emerging markets. As the name suggests, the Vanguard Developed Markets Fund doesn't include emerging markets, only developed. And, and you can see this in the Portfolio tab, which is where we are. We can scroll down. It's to the exposure. When you first come to the exposure section in Morningstar, it looks like this. And these little tabs can be easy to miss, but they're really important because they give you additional information. In fact, you can see it here. Um, in the style box. If you go to weights, you can actually see the numbers. So this little, these little tabs are pretty important to remember. If we come back down to exposure, if we go to the region tab, we can actually see the exposure by region. And this is the total international stock uh, fund. We can see Asia emerging, almost 
European emerging markets, not as much, but still 1.24. So roughly what, 17% of this fund is in, in, invested in, in stocks headquartered um, in emerging market countries. For developed, as the name suggests, uh, there's almost none. And we can come down here to exposure. I've already got it set to region. See emerging markets, virtually zero, 0.28. Uh, Europe emerging, 0.32. That's the primary difference between these two funds. And so the question is, well, which one should we use? Well, my view is, if it's going to be the the only international fund you have, and I think it's perfectly valid for that purpose, whether we're talking 529 plans, um, a taxable account, retirement account. If it's gonna be your, you, know, you just want one fund and you're done with it, I would go with the total international stock that includes emerging markets. In Dan's case, if we recall, let's go back to his spreadsheet here. Let me pull it up. Recall that for, oops, try that again. Here we go. Recall that for his allocation, He's actually using an emerging market fund right here. So in his case, uh, I would probably use the developed international fund uh, in conjunction with the emerging market. And then I could fine tune exactly what percentage I had in each. Now you could fine tune it using the total uh, stock international stock fund as well. You would just have to be a little more careful because the total stock fund has, as we saw, 17% in emerging markets. So you'd have to factor that in. Well, that's you know a bit of a hassle. Why would you do that? I would just go with a developed fund and an emerging market fund. Now, again, in my case, I just like a total international fund. I'm perfectly fine with whatever allocation they have to emerging markets. As we just saw in this case, it's about 17%. But some of you like to slice and dice your portfolio as I, as I like to describe it. And that's fine too. Uh, that seems to be Dan's approach. And so that's how I would think of it in that case. All right, now let's look at the other question, which is uh, two bond funds. And I've got them up here. We've got the Vanguard Short-Term Investment Grade Fund and the Vanguard Short-Term Bond Index Fund. So what's the difference? Well, again, we can go to the portfolio tabs. Let's do that for both of these. And we can quickly see the difference. Um, we come down to, first of all, with any bond fund, you wanna know the duration. Effective duration here is 2.8. Here it's 2.78. They're effectively the same. Remember, let's make sure we remember what that means. The duration tells us that um, if interest rates go up by, for every 1%, interest rates go up, the value of the fund will go down by a, a roughly a percent equal to its duration. So if rates go up by 1%, these funds go down by roughly 2.8%. If interest rates go down, the fund's value goes up by the same amount. So if interest rates were to go down by 1%, uh, then these funds would go up in value roughly by 2.8%. Now, that's not very long. That's a fairly short duration. You can think of intermediate term bond funds have durations of let's call it eh, five to seven years. Long term bond funds might be 10 to 15 year durations. So this is a fairly short uh, uh, duration fund, which means they don't have, they have some interest rate risk, but it's not a lot. And in fact, you can see in the style box here, both of them are in this limited column, which, uh, which represents uh, the interest rate risk. Now, what is different about these two funds is the credit quality. This fund on the right has high credit quality. This one on the left has uh, a, a middle of the road credit qu quality. And we can actually see it right here. This credit quality is double A, right? 
This credit quality is triple B, which is the lowest level for what would be classified as investment grade. Anything below that would be called junk bonds or high yield. Um, and so what that tells me is this one on the right probably has more uh, government bonds. Let's see. Yep, 73%, 26% corporate. Yeah, this one has 15% uh, government. This one has 75% uh, corporate. Now, it, it's not that one is better than the other. They're different. And, and the, the key is, uh, is understanding what the differences are. Now, so what this means as a practical matter is the fund on the left is going to have a slightly higher risk of default than the, one, than the fund on the right. Is the risk of default for the fund on the left high? No, I wouldn't call it high. Uh, well, Vanguard would put it in the middle of the road, as we saw from the style box, versus uh, this one's pretty high credit. Now, the thing that you're going to get in return for taking on a little bit more what they call credit risk, the risk of default, is you're going to get a slightly higher yield, at least I'm guessing. <laughs> we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Uh, let's see. So this trailing 12-month yield was 197. Yeah, and this one's 1.4. So Dan wants to know which one would I use? Well, again, got to keep in mind, there is no right or wrong answer. Um, I certainly think when I'm longer out, meaning, you know, the child is younger, you know, got five or more years till they need the money, I'm going to go with the higher yielding uh, fund probably particularly given the low yields today. I'm, you know, I don't think it's a huge stretch to go for that fund. It's still investment grade, feel comfortable um, using it. Um, as we get closer and closer to when they're gonna use the money, to me, the bigger question isn't which of these two funds, but rather, should you go to cash? And in fact, that was sort of the question, his third question right down here. Is there a need to go to cash stable value or are bonds sufficient? Well, I think, um, as you're moving, um, uh, as, you, as you still have a, a fair amount of time before they're actually going to use the money, I'm going to be in bonds, right? Because cash is just yielding nothing. Once you get to, the, you know, they're, they're, they're graduating high school, they're starting to use the money. My approach would be this. I'm pretty much going almost all to cash. That's particularly true if you've already saved enough for their education. I'm not taking risks at this point. I'm not gonna put money in stocks that I need to spend next year or the year after, or even the year after that to pay for their tuition. And I'm not sure I even see a big need to put a lot of money in bonds. Again, the funds that we just looked at, low duration, pretty, pretty low interest rate risk. I'm not gonna lose any sleep if I have money in those funds, even if I need it in the next year or two. But again, if I've already got the money saved that will cover their tuition, even factoring in, increases because we know universities love to increase tuition even by much more than inflation that's a whole nother story uh, if i've got the money i'm not going to risk it so i'm not going to have money in stocks i'm going to go very conservative once they you know are as maybe a senior in high school assuming they're going to go to college right away i'm uh, going to get uh, very very conservative that's my approach well, there you go. Again, I will leave a link to this spreadsheet below this video. I'm also going to leave a link to some uh, Utah 529 plan information. I think it's a great way to understand how to invest for a child's education, whether you use Utah's 529 plan or not. And in fact, whether or not you're even using a 529 plan at all, I think it can be a really good starting point for understanding how to invest for a child's 
education. Well, I hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions or comments, just leave them below the video. I'll do my best to help you out any way I can. And until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.